Welcome to the Flycast, musings and adventures on and off the water with Misha Gill. Today we join Misha on the South Fork of the Shenandoah River in Virginia, chasing smallmouth bass with his friend Art. It's a hot summer day, so bring plenty of sunscreen and hydrate well. Enjoy. South Fork of the Shenandoah River, June 29th, 2021, Misha and Art. All right, Art, so we just got about an hour of a session in there. We saw some nice action early on. We were seeing individual fish, primarily carp, but right at the put-in, we saw a nice 16, 18-inch fish 30 feet away from Art in full profile. Beautiful fish. Uh, How was that fishing, Art? So far, pretty slow going. We haven't quite cracked the code yet. We've tried some crayfish patterns bouncing at the bottom, a couple uh, bait fish patterns back on a retrieve. We haven't worked the topwater bite enough to substantiate what the ticket's going to be today. That's right. Yeah, you, you swam that fly through some pretty tasty water, some pretty slotty kind of big wide pools with some nice trenches going right through it, real, real ledgy Shenandoah River structure. And we fished up in the hydraulics, and then we fished down below it. Art had a couple hits, not in the hydraulics, but down below. I think with the, you know, we got a little late start to the boat ramp, noonday sun, water's very low and clear. Yeah, and these fish are very well fed right now with that cicada emergence that we're now kind of done with. So I think it's going to be a little bit more technical today, maybe some longer casts. Um, We're coming in very quiet on the boat, and we'll see see what happens. Yeah, we'll be quiet on the boat. (laughs) My go now, I'm up now. So I'll get a a session in here, and hopefully we'll have some better news. I think we will. I think we will. All right. All right, all right, we just figured it out, didn't we? Yeah, looks like it's going to be the topwater Creelix. I think we were coming in a little bit too subtle, but we've been moving a bunch of fish. Uh, I mean, it was instantaneous. As soon as I put on that fly. Immediately. First cast. A big-ass 20 came up and hit it. Third cast, a 16 came up and hit it. And I missed both, of course. I wasn't expecting such instantaneous action. No, me, neither was I, you know. We should have known better because how many times has that happened, How right? many times? Yeah, I mean, you times? switch to the gaudiest yeah. thing in your box. <laughs> Low, clear, hot, right. sun on the water, and you throw the gaudiest thing and they go bananas. Yeah, topwater Creelix, man. <laughs> yeah, and this fly is really cool. It's made out of cork. This is a William Horesniak tie of a Chuck Craft pattern. It's an epic pattern, and it dances through the water like a floating Rapala. And it's got a gold head, a red collar made of marabou, and like the Creelex material out the back in silver. And for those of you who don't know what the Creelex material is, it's actually called Krennic, right? Krennic, you can picture right. uh, almost like a flashaboo, except a little, little more supple, a little more crinkly maybe? Well, I would say flashaboo is more supple. The Krennic is a little stiffer but it's got more surfaces to reflect off of it. It's a crinkled up texture, whereas the flashaboo is like a flat texture. Like you can rib a fly with pearl flashaboo and it looks like translucent and completely smooth. That's the basis of a lot of nice nymphs. But Krennic is great in the Creelex pattern, which is another Chuck Craft pattern. But this is a derivation of a Chuck Craft pattern, the, the topwater Creelex. We've just had incredibly hot action. I landed our first fish, a little 10, nine inch bass that's about right had a really nice red eye which yeah. was cool that way but it you know not a not a monster like the first my first cast and my third cast a 20 and a 16. Ah, instantly just so surprising okay well let's get back to the fishing shall Sounds we Eric? Good. let's, let's get them 
All right, it's almost three o'clock in the afternoon. We've stopped again for heat reasons to take a dip in the river. Uh, we had more luck once we switched to the spinning rod and the tourist worm and just started slamming dinks on the tourist worm. Yeah, I don't know, we've probably picked up eight to 10 dinks at this point. What do you think, Art? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Almost 100 degrees, high sun, water's really low, really clear. Uh, fish are satiated. And satiated yeah, from yeah, the cicadas, I, yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so. um, we're, we're spooking some big ones. We're seeing some big ones, but they are spooking like 80 feet in front of the boat. Yeah, and just not knowing this stretch of water. Yeah, if we knew these holes, the real good holes have been right above the riffles, like just the last 50 feet before a riffle. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, right at the top of the very first broken water almost. What's interesting is we're not moving fish in the more oxygenated water. Uh-huh, um, yeah, they're not in the hydraulic stuff. No, they've really sort of seemed to be shade-oriented, Yeah. right? Yeah, more, yeah, more shade and a certain depth of water and some structure. Two to three feet of water and some broken up structure, ledges, you know, anything with rocks on the bottom. And phew, it is getting too hot to even hold my phone, so <laughs> I'm gonna, Misha out. Well, that was a hot, hot afternoon of fishing, but I just mean temperature-wise, primarily. <laughs> <laughs> What are your thoughts, Art? Um, yeah, it was definitely a long day. Got some good fish at the end. but Kind of in the middle, too, after our yeah. second stop at 3 o'clock. I was like, what are you doing, Art? Dude, I'm saving that water right in front of us for you while you futz around with your worm. That's right, yeah, yeah. And that's I think that's right when it started to turn on. It really so, turned right? on. Yeah. It really turned on. I caught four fish and five casts at one point, and one of them was the best fish of the day that's at, right. like, 14 inches. That's exactly right. It was so funny. You know, I'm happy that happened because, honestly, I thought, just based on the way the morning started, I thought yeah. we, were gonna, yeah. we were in for a rough day. So yeah, it's good yeah. that we turned it around there. Yeah, but that, that's typical smallmouth fishing on the Shenandoah. It really heats up in the afternoon, and, like, higher that sun gets, the hotter the fishing gets sometimes. And... I wasn't concerned about our late start because the morning you practically do nothing. We were eking fish out in the morning. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Um, but it was great that uh, you had that the tech, tourist tech worm, the old was, yeah. tourist worm. Oh it my god! Turned it around. That thing is yeah, it's <laughs> deadly on this river. That's a spinning rod rig, by the way. The tourist worm is a white wacky worm just on a Gamakatsu Stinger B10S size one it was a little worm that i was fishing and then you, you got to put a swivel up above it in order to combat line twist because the trick of the tourist worm is that you thread the worm so that it goes up the bend of the b10s so that it it goes all the way up to where that sharp angle in the b10s is and it's it's completely threaded through and it it twists in the water and that's the purpose of it it has an action that the fish just find simply irresistible so that's when we really started having some fun fishing. We had uh, very visual takes. We saw some wolf packs. We had some really surprise takes just to come out of nowhere. But it was all visual. We saw it all happen. It was really cool. Yeah, I'd be curious to see um, what we could do to emulate that in a fly, something more right. than just the, right. the best bait fish. You know? Yeah, the best <laughs> smallmouth bass flies are, in many cases, emulate spinning lures. You know, like a twister tail, like um, some of those big game twister tails. Yeah. I think the Pat Cohen line wiggly tail mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. made of like yeah, leather yeah, yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. That could be. That, that could would do. probably do the trick. Yeah. Just 
literally just wrap with some chenille on a hook and that tail. I've got a lot of flies like that actually, but in pretty small sizes, imitating that plastic grub that mm-hmm. spin fishermen use yeah. to such great effect. Yeah, certainly. The topwater Creolex, it kept getting hits, but we we just kept not getting hookups. Yeah, absolutely. I think things were, you know, they were chasing it down, but we just weren't really coming tight in anything with it. And it got to be a lot of work, and the tourist worm on the spinning rod is just, like, super efficient. And Especially just, with that heat. With it's the just heat. so much easier oh, to throw that So thing. hot. <laughs> so much work. So much work casting the fly rod in 95-degree heat. It's like, why not just save your shoulder? The- right. right. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, but it was a fun day. It was a fun day. I enjoyed hanging out with you, Art. Yeah, it was great spending time with you, Misha. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. All right. Been another episode. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode was brought to you by Speedwell Law, my estate planning law firm. One of the biggest concerns my clients have is avoiding probate. Now, first, we've got to define what that is, and I hope you'll stick with me through these legalistic words. Uh, Probate is the process whereby the court oversees the administration of the estate, that is, paying the debts of the decedent and distributing assets to beneficiaries. Generally, your estate pays the court for the privilege of being supervised. And usually, generally, the costs are in the low thousands. But as I often say, there's no lid. So if your estate assets are complicated, or if the matter becomes contested, then costs can quickly climb into five figures, not to mention the heartache. I often describe it as heartache lies at the intersection of ambiguity and money. Now, there are several different strategies for avoiding probate, some simple, some more complex, and choosing the one that's best for you depends on your facts and circumstances. Isn't that a great lawyerly answer? It depends, but it really does, and each state is different. So that's why you need to talk to an estate attorney to figure out the best way to avoid probate. At the end of the day, probate is optional. It's not an inherently bad thing. Uh, If you think of it, some of the biggest disputes in history were over estates, that is, if you consider a kingdom to be an estate asset. Now, thankfully, we have the rule of law in our country and not divine right monarchy. Um, And that means that we have the privilege of choosing how to distribute our estate and probate is optional. So um, schedule a free 15-minute phone call with me directly online through my website, speedwelllaw.com, and we can have an an exploratory conversation about how best to accomplish that. I'm licensed in Virginia and Maryland. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.